Good morning. Man, it's good to see you all here this morning. Uh, happy Mother's Day to you all. If you haven't heard that yet, hear it again. Um, it's funny what things we remember from the lessons of mom. For example, I remember as a kid my mom trying to convince me that pink and gray go well together. And so this is my tribute to Mother's Day, uh, my gray shoes and my faded red shirt. So of all the things my mom wanted to teach me, I'm sure she would be super proud to know that I remember that lesson. Um, glad you're all here with us this morning. Uh, we're going to continue the sermon series, A Church on Mission, looking at our mission inside the walls of a church to disciple future leaders in the church. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at uh, the next generation from cradle to college and our role as a church to raise up the next generation. Last week, we looked specifically at discipling men. And so this week for Mother's Day, we're going to be looking at discipleship of women in the kingdom. And so that's where we're going to be this morning. And um, you know, a man uh, teaching on the role of women, what could go wrong, right? So I'm excited about this morning. Um, actually, I'm going to speak for a little while, and then I'm going to invite our women's ministry leader to the stage to help me uh, talk about this important topic and subject. So I'm glad you're here with us this morning as we look at Titus chapter 2 together. The sermon title is Women of the Kingdom. If you want to follow along in your sermon notes, they're right there in front of you. And, uh, and so feel free to grab one of those and follow along. So one thing I want to say real quick um, to the men in the room. So uh, gentlemen, last week when I was talking about the role of discipling men, I told the women in the room, you don't have permission to check out. You've got a very important part of the equation. In the same way this week, men, you don't have permission to check out. Okay? Even though the primary topic this, this morning is the role of women and discipling women in the church. Um, again, men, you have a very significant part to play in the identity of women. And, and specifically by what you affirm and what you criticize, you greatly impact a woman's life and her identity and the way she sees herself and her role as an image bearer of God. And so men, tuning in, uh, again, not to write down a list of things, of all the things that your wife is doing wrong and that you can tell her later, but for you to be listening for your role in the equation as God works in all of us and speaks to all of us today. So in Titus 2, been here for a couple weeks. Um, we're now looking at uh, specifically women discipling women. Um, we've already clearly looked at um, the Apostle Paul's intention with this whole letter of Titus is to set up a discipleship uh, foundation in the church so that there will be leaders to take the church into the future. And Titus, Paul begins with Titus by saying, hey, Titus, I want you to look for leaders in the church. Look for men who display the, the quality and the character of Jesus that can lead the church. But he also said, if they're not there, be ready to make them, to mentor them and to grow them up. And then from there in chapter two, he lays out the process of growing up and raising up, not just men, but men and women as future leaders and uh, contributors to the ministry of the church. And so we look at Titus two, verse three is where Paul begins to address the women. Now, he, Paul needs a little help here. Um, Starting off with this older women, right? That's not the way you want to talk to ladies. Old women. But we talked about the last two weeks that this is not a reference to gray hair or physical age, but it's a reference to spiritual maturity, okay? Sometimes goes hand in hand with gray hair and physical age, right? Been walking with Jesus for a long time. Hopefully there's spiritual maturity. 
But in context, this isn't a reference to those who are simply old, but a reference to those who are mature in the faith, who have been walking with Jesus long enough that they're beginning to look like him. And so as we have that in mind, we'll start in verse 3, as Paul writes to Titus, instructions for the women. He says, older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. So when you see older women, just exchange that for spiritually mature women, um, are likewise, meaning what? He has the same thing in mind that he had for the men. So he's already laid out this plan for the men. He says, likewise, meaning in the same way, in a similar fashion, here's what he says to the ladies. Now, what's interesting is if you read this verse in the original language in Greek, um, it actually, in a, in a very significant way, mirrors Genesis 1, 2, and 3. But you don't see it quite as plainly in the English language. Let me just share with you uh, what I believe Paul is saying to Titus here about the ladies. First of all, he says that they are to be reverent in behavior. Now, this word reverent, the root of this word, um, means a person, place, or thing that is sacred to God. A person, a place, a thing, or even an action that is sacred to God. That's the root of this word reverent, which, which takes us back to Genesis 1. This idea that men and women are created in the image of God. You bear the image of God. Distinctly, even in your role as man and woman, you bear the image of God, the imago Dei. And so women in your specific role and what God has created you to be for your home, for your uh, community, for your church, for, for the world, you have a specific sacred place as an image bearer that's very distinct from all the rest of creation and in some ways distinct even from men. So what your role in bearing the image of God is so distinct that only you can bear that part of God's image. We were created in his image, both men and women. We were created to bear the image of God, the imago Dei, which is a Latin phrase that reminds us that we're image bearers, set apart and sacred. And so what he's saying here for the ladies is that you would live your life in such a manner that it displays that you are aware of the sacred nature of your created role here on earth. Not only that, he says, reverent behavior, not slanderers. What's interesting is this. That word slander um, is the word uh, diabolos. Does that sound familiar? It's the same word we use for the devil. And it means to be deceived or one who perpetuates lies, a deceiver, which takes us back then to Genesis 3, right? This idea of this crafty serpent, Satan himself, who's able to deceive the woman, right? And then what does she do? She perpetuates that to her husband by taking truth and just twisting it a little bit. Reminds us, right, of our own lives, too, and how we're so quickly, even as Christians, right, we, 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 we're, we're, we're listening to these lies of the enemy as he twists God's truth just a little bit, just subtly, and then we embrace it and perpetuate it. And then he goes on to say this, not only not slanders, but not slaves to much Wine. And in this particular cultural context, that was a primary uh, enslavement of, of the women in that culture. But ultimately, he's saying, women, don't give away control of your life to things. Not to alcohol, right? But in our cultural context, we could replace that with a lot of different things. Right? Don't be slaves not only to much wine, but don't, in the same way, don't give over control of your life to what people think about you. 
Don't become slaves to the opinions of others. In a very specific way, don't become slaves to the voices of the secular men in our culture who tell you you don't have value or worth unless you look a certain way. Don't be slaves to people's opinion on, of you on social media. Not only that, don't be slaves to the digital screen in general. I think there's a new phenomenon that we're going to have to address as a culture, and actually it's being addressed already in, in modern medicine, this idea of addiction to the digital screen. And it's so subtle, right? And that's how addictions start in general, isn't it? Like if you think about alcoholism to the person who's the alcoholic, in their mind it's very subtle, right? They don't even oftentimes realize it, but to the people around them it's obvious. That's how addiction works. I think there is a subtle addiction creeping up on us as a culture, not just for women, but I see it a lot in Women, and it's this addiction to the digital screen, social media, what people are thinking about me, what people are projecting, what everybody else is doing. And I just wonder how many women go to sleep right after looking at the digital screen. I mean, just from a, from a medical standpoint, that's not healthy, right? It's stimulating. And then it's not only that, it's, it's full of a particular worldview, right, that oftentimes, not always, oftentimes isn't aligned with Christ. And so, right, and so we're allowing these voices to speak so frequently. I was just doing some research on this this week, and it's crazy, the phenomenon. Uh, people, people, in particular ladies, who are, who are realizing that they've been enslaved, they just can't not look at it. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. One lady I was reading about online, like she said, every moment I get a, even when I go to the bathroom, any chance I get, I've got to look, and I've got to post at least eight things a day, just so people know, Right? And so we can be enslaved to a lot of things. I think it's important to keep in mind, ladies, that, that addictions are very subtle, but they're oftentimes very obvious to the people around us. And we've become a culture, right, of this idea of the, I'm talking with the people who are around me, but I'm looking at something else. Men, we do it as well. Right? There's going to have to be a whole new etiquette taught to the future generation on how to have a digital device and, and still maintain some sense of, right, uh, conversation with others. And so like, we haven't even got that list of things yet. I would just, I would offer some up to us in general while we're on the topic. It's not wrong, I don't think, to check your phone with somebody else, but it's always impolite to say, hey, would you mind if I check my phone? I'm expecting an important call or an important text. Nobody taught us that when we were kids, did they? They taught us to chew with our mouth closed, right? Uh, if you're expecting an important phone call and you're going into a, a conversation or a lunch, say, hey, I just want to let you know on the onset, I'm expecting a really important call or a message I may need to respond to. I just want to let you know ahead of time. Nobody taught us that as kids, right? We've just allowed this phenomenon to kind of subtly sneak up on us, and it's sucking us, right, into this idea of allowing it to control us, whether it's the opinions of others or your curiosity with what's going on in the world. If we're not careful, digital devices can be just as enslaving as wine. Then, as he continues on, not only slaves, he says they are to teach what is good. And again, this reminds me beautifully of Genesis 2 and 3. At the, at the, at the, at the climax and the conclusion of creation, everything was very good. So Adam and Eve only knew what was good. They had no knowledge of what was not good. Matter of fact, they were told not to eat for the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good or evil, good or not good. 
And after they did, they, they sinned and broke something in humanity. We are bent towards what's not good. So we naturally do what is not good. And so Paul, through Titus, is reminding the women in the church that we have to intentionally pursue and learn what is good. If we just do what comes natural, we'll oftentimes do what's not good. And so part of discipling women in the church means we've got to be teaching what is good in opposition to what we might naturally do. And I'll give you an example of, in just a minute of, of how I think that works out. If you're taking notes this morning, spiritually mature women of the kingdom live in a manner that reflects the sacred nature of being created in the image of God. The sacred nature of being created in the image of God. Let's look at verse 4 now as we get some instruction on how to, to lead women, for women to lead women into this mindset. In verse 4, he says, here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to train the younger women to love their husbands and children. Now, that's this interesting thing because we tend to think I inherently love my family, right? Moms inherently and naturally love their children. Now, this is a good place to talk about where what was created good has been bent towards what's not good. God has placed it in the hearts of moms to love their family sacrificially. And, and you, you moms in the room are experts at it. And I would just say in general, women tend to be this way, whether you're a mom or not. Just really good at sacrificially loving. But, right, just the same way in Genesis 3, something that was created good gets bent a little bit off kilter. Now all of a sudden it's not good anymore. And what will happen oftentimes in the hearts of, of moms is this, is they have this incredible nurturing nature reflecting the nature and the image of God to love their children well. But when that gets bent towards not good, just a few degrees off kilter, what happens is moms begin to what find their identity in the behavior of their children. That nurturing nature gets twisted just a little bit and it gives room for the enemy to, to whisper lies in the hearts of a mom. And what was created good now all of a sudden is not good, right? Because everything rises and falls on the behavior of the children. What report am I gonna get from the teacher today? How is, how is this going to go when we go out to eat tonight? Or if I take this kiddo to the grocery store, am I going to leave horrified and embarrassed? That's how you know it's been twisted into something that's not good. If you find the, 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 the behavior of your children in some way embarrassing you, then their behavior is connecting with your identity, and that's not good. So there's just an example of how what was created good gets twisted into what is not good. And so let me say this. Those of you ladies in the room who've been walking with Jesus for a while, what Paul is saying to Titus is, is go remind those women, those spiritually mature women, that they're going to have to train the younger women about this because they're not going to do it naturally. You're going to have to spend time discipling and mentoring and teaching the young women because otherwise they're going to do what comes natural. And what was created good is going to get twisted off kilter and become not good. Spiritually mature women of the kingdom are to train younger women. If you're taking notes, train younger women in the faith 
on how to navigate life in a way that leads them to be more like Jesus. That leads them to be, and here's my question. I think it's obvious when we look at the young generation, they don't do it naturally, okay? But here's the thing I'm gonna ask then, that leaves an obvious question on the table. Then who in the world's gonna train them? Right? I mean, what he's laying out here isn't rocket science. It's obvious that the next generation needs some mentorship. They need to be taught not to find their identity and their appearances or what people think about them or in social media, right? But if we just leave them to their own devices, what's going to happen? They're going to do what comes natural. So spiritually mature women in the room, we've got to engage in training, teaching the younger generation to be more like Christ or it'll never happen. Let me take just a, a moment here to talk about women's ministry in our church. Um, we have a women's ministry that meets um, once a month, and much like our men's ministry, this is the pep rally, okay? This, this meeting alone is not enough. It's not enough just to see each other once a month, open God's word, talk about an application, then walk out the door. We, we're quick to forget. So that's just kind of the pep rally of calling the women together. There's a time of teaching, opening God's word together, a time of small group discussion, a time of worship and prayer, all important elements. But this is the pep rally. If this is going to take place, the training and the urging, it's going to have to happen in a, in a more consistent frequency than that. That's why it's our, it's our vision and our, our hope that women who are in our community groups are actually living life together. I mean, in the trenches with one another, for better, for worse, messes included, right? A place to be transparent and honest about failures and struggles, knowing that it's in a context of grace and mercy, and nobody's going to change their opinion of you. Ladies, you've got to have that. I would say at least on a weekly basis. It's our hope that if you're coming to women's ministry, that you begin to, that God creates a craving and a hunger in you to want to do that more often, to connect with other women in the church, to be mentored and discipled and to be trained to be more like Jesus. Let's look at verse 5 together. What we're going to get now from the Apostle Paul to Titus is a description of the character of a spiritually mature woman who looks like Jesus. Here's what he says. We're training the younger women to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Now let's walk through this list together because several things came up. First and foremost, this, the heart of a woman who's completely surrendered to Jesus is self-controlled. I think we need to define what that truly means, to be self-controlled. We don't, what we don't mean by that is self-governed in a sense that you're creating your own wisdom and living by it. That's not what's implied here. Matter of fact, the opposite is implied. It means to be controlled by biblical wisdom rather than emotional impulses, self-controlled. To get to a place in your life, ladies, where you're able to recognize emotional impulses and realize, you know what? Those emotions are God-given and God-designed, but bent towards sin, I don't need to trust them. Okay, and it's okay to have emotional breakdowns and outbursts and just to cry for no reason and all those sorts of things, but we don't let those things govern our lives. But rather than we're able to say, you know what? This is an emotional impulse. Rather than responding and reacting to it, I'm gonna submit to God's wisdom as he's given it to me through the Bible. That's a, that's a characteristic of a woman who has surrendered to Jesus. She knows her heart well and how God has created her heart, but she also knows where it's flawed and where she needs God's wisdom. 
The next thing here is pure. Now, this one means be, being free from what is carnal and to be modest. Let's talk about being free from what is carnal. When I think about that definition of the word, I think about all the voices of our culture that come from a carnal perspective that are speaking into your lives, ladies, trying to convince you to find your worth in other things other than God. Whether that's, again, whether it's for you, it's social media, for you, it's some other form of the carnal voice of our culture. Ultimately, what, what, what Paul is telling the women to, to ascribe to is to hear the voice of God more than any other voice in your culture. And then the word also translates modest. And this is a fun one, right? Are you really going to cover this one in front of everybody? I am. Can I just offer up one thing on, on the topic of modesty? I think the biggest mistake we make in the conversation about modesty is that we make it about lust and temptation. I do. I think within the church we say, okay, women, you need to be modest because men are pigs, and if you're not modest, you're going to tempt them. Now, that is a part of the equation, but that's not the primary point that God's word makes on modesty. Can I, can I offer up to you the primary reason God calls women to be modest in their appearances and the way they project themselves? is because at the same time God's word calls you to find your identity in your character, not in what the world thinks about your image. God has created you, ladies, beautiful, and in his image with different shapes and sizes and skin tones and colors of hair and heights and, and all those things. God created you that way. And, the, right? and so obviously there's not this one woman that God loves more than others because she looks a certain way. He created you all in the image of God. Let alone the standard of our culture is always changing. If you study the generations and what the, the marketing gurus put out as beautiful, it changes. It's a moving target, ladies. And so this idea of modesty isn't first and foremost about temptation and lust. It's about ultimately finding your identity in your character. Proverbs 31, you are who you are on the inside. God created you how you are on the outside. You don't have to dress that up to be more important to God or more important, right, to the people here on earth. Men, this is an important part of your conversation. Again, affirmation and critique go a long way, right, ladies? What we affirm and what we criticize greatly impacts the way you see yourselves. Paul told Timothy, another pastor, I mean, uh, yeah, Timothy in the church in Ephesus that he was telling men to love their wives sacrificially, to wash over them with the word and present them to themselves. This idea of men, you greatly impact the way that women see themselves. Your wives, your little girls, the women you work with, you, you, you may think it's subtle and nobody picks up on it, but when you're engaging with a woman, primarily because of the way she looks on the outside, right, you're affirming that her worth is in her appearances. Ladies, you don't have to dress it up to impress God, and you don't have to dress it up to impress a man who surrendered to Jesus. He will love you well even on bad hair days. He will. And so there's the, the call to modesty, to find your identity in your inward character not your outward appearance. Working at home, again, this is not the idea that you don't get to have a career. Matter of fact, Proverbs 31 blows that idea out of the water. Have you read Proverbs 31, ladies? A noble wife who can find? She buys property, she plants a vineyard, she has profitable merchandise, and she serves the needy. So God's word is not saying, women, you have to stay in the home. But what what I believe God's word is saying is that, women, there's something unique created in you that causes you to care more about the home than us men do. 
And I'm not just talking about the physical appearances of the home. It's the, the people within the home. You're nurturers by nature, more so than, by and large, us men are. God created that in you to be hardworking and diligent and caring at home. And again, whether you decide to work out of the home or not, that's a conviction for your household. God's word isn't saying you can't work. just saying, listen, we, your home needs you. <laughs> Amen, men? Holy cow, can you imagine if our ladies didn't care about the home? It'd be a mess. We'd never have socks. I'm not saying that women's role is doing laundry, but I need my wife to remind me that laundry needs to be done. That's the point. Right, men? I need this voice reminding me, if we don't do laundry, we're going to be in trouble on the weekend. Okay, you're right. I'll get some laundry going. That's a nurturing, caring heart, right? That doesn't want the men in the house to look a fool when they don't have any clothes to wear, right? And it's the woman who says, you know what? We're getting low on, on stuff and to eat. What are we going to eat? We got to get go to the grocery store. If you leave it up to me, I'm going I'm to fly by a seat in my pants, no huddle offense every time. Taco Casa, here we come. <laughs> Thank God my wife cares. She cares enough about our health and what we eat to think about it in advance, it's not her job to cook. It's not her job to go to the grocery store. But God has placed in her this nurturing heart that cares and is concerned about those things. The next thing he mentions is kind. This is a good one, ladies. This word that we translate kind in this particular translation also translates pleasant, agreeable, joyful, and happy. As emotional beings, God has created you that way. Ladies, you can greatly impact the emotion of your house by where you're finding your joy. And if you're not careful and you find your joy in what others think about you or how well people are behaving and how you're treated at work, you'll come home, right, responding to that with a lack of joy because the world has been against you and now all of a sudden it feels like the house is against you. But when you find your joy in God and those other things don't impact you, you're able to keep a sense of joy in the house. And then this last one, submissive. The idea here is that, ladies, you follow your husband's lead and you show him respect. Can I, just, can I just point out a great irony here? This is a faith move. This is an incredible faith move on your part. You're called to respect and to follow the lead of your husband completely apart from his competence. This is not God saying you're incompetent. Matter of fact, last week I compared men to turkeys. Turkeys aren't real smart. This is not in any way God saying, you're not smart enough. God's just simply saying, I've created man and woman to reflect my image, and I've created men to take the lead and for women to display respect, not based on how competent or how worthy he is, but in Ephesians 5, ladies, as the church shows respect to Christ. Now, now men, we've got a flip side of that equation that's incredibly difficult as well. But, ladies, this idea of submission is a faith move. It's saying, I just believe because God says I've designed it to work this way, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to walk in faith that I'm to respect and follow the lead of my husband. And this is your faith move, and part of your role is the Imago Dei. Now, I'm going to bring up to the stage an expert on discipling women. Would you join me in welcome to the stage, Joe Warren? Joe, come on up. Come on up. Expert, that's right. We've got big expectations now. Here you go. Um, well, Joe Warren, let me just take a second to introduce her as she gets settled here. Um, she is uh, 
is, is a longtime member of Solid Rock, been ministering and serving here for decades. I won't say how many, um, but uh, faithfully serving in a lot of capacities. And, and most recently, um, she's obviously one of our elders' wives, so she serves in a significant uh, role of sp- spiritual leadership in the lives of women. Um, but she specifically is our women's ministry leader. And so when I call her an expert, I'm, I'm, I'm halfway kidding because I know she's going to be first to tell you she doesn't have it all down. But she truly is a woman who is engaged in what we just read in Titus 2, personally and in the lives of the women in our church. And so ladies in the room, many of you already know her in that capacity. So Joe, I'm going to have you speak on some of the things we just talked about if you're good with that. Okay. I right. brought my notes. All right. Have a photographic memory, but sometimes film's not always up here. So <laughs> I did it the old-fashioned way and put Perfect. it on um, paper. So I'm ready to go. Well, Joe, I've brought up, um, well, actually the Bible did. Brought up some pretty important topics this morning, uh, including submission. That's where we ended. Let's start there. Uh, right, let's start there. Um, I think it's so important for ladies to hear because we get a, 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 a really, uh, first of all, submission in our culture in general isn't popular. Right, it's just not. Um, but second to that, um, there's a, there's definitely a cultural pushback against the idea that women somehow have less value or worth if they respect and follow the lead of their husbands. But the Bible calls us to do that, and it calls women to do that. Could you speak about submission and kind of help the ladies in our room understand God's heart in that, and maybe even your own experience with that? So we're going to start with submission. Okay. Uh, so since you know me well, uh, submission would be one of those things that I would struggle with. Um, I could have written the words to I am woman, hear me roar. And some of you don't even know that that was a song. But uh, I, uh, submission would be something that would be hard for me and, uh, and was hard for me. And for some of you who know my testimony, know that uh, early on in our marriage, Billy uh, struggled with some alcohol issues. And so I wasn't submissive to that at all. And I was running our home with my own agenda, and he was doing his drinking and that sort of thing. So we, uh, we just lived that life. And until God healed him of the alcohol issue and he moved back into that leadership role, then it was very hard for me to have respect and be submissive to someone who had not been in that role. And so I had to start really um, negotiating with God about, surely this isn't what you want me to do, and uh, realizing that it's an earthly, divine um, mandate that God has put on those relationships. And so um, that, that became a little more clear to me. And then when I look in um, Ephesians 5.25, and I'm just going to uh, look, read that to you, but it says God has a command for men to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. So it's a sacrifice for men. And men should have women's best interest in, at heart when they're making decisions. And uh, so the divine order is for uh, a man to be the overseer of the home and for us to respect that. The way that works for Billy and I is that we come together, uh, we talk about a decision, we uh, discuss it, and if it's something that we can't agree on, then we kind of set it aside. We both pray about it. I pray that God will change his mind and think like me. And then we come back together. And uh, if that is not the case, then I submit to his decision on that because he is the overseer of our home. Yeah. Well, that's good. I appreciate you sharing your own personal experience there. I think um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, since you are a mom and now a grandmother, um, I'd like for you to talk just for a minute about 
the struggle with, that, that women oftentimes face with finding their identity in the behavior of their kids. And I talked a little bit about that just a minute ago. So um, can you kind of maybe, maybe even explain it to the men in the room, but kind of talk about that for a minute, about that struggle and speak to the ladies about um, where, how we shift our identity from how our kids are acting to where it needs to be? Well, you know, we don't want to be the parent of, the, you kind of gave that illustration, of the uh, child who's running down the grocery store aisle throwing the fit because they don't get what they want. And we don't want to be the parent who gets the call that says your uh, child is being suspended. Uh, we don't want to be the parent that gets a call that says uh, your child has been in an alcohol-related accident and your child is the one at fault. And uh, you don't want to be the parent that is teaching and knowing that other parents, even in the church, are wondering whether you should do that or not because of the way your child is. And uh, I've been the parent in all those situations. So let me just say that um, our identity as a mother is tied to the way our children turn out. And it's very hard to realize that that's not God's design. God cares about us and what we are doing but it's not tied to how our children uh, turn out. You know, we all want that leave it to beaver family. I'm dating myself again, but uh, the uh, mother who wears the pearls and the, the husband who wears the suit and goes around and they have this perfect life. And, and we all want that kind of, uh, kind of life for ourselves. And, uh, but, you know, that's, that's what, not what God has. God has so much for us as a woman, and it's not tied to how our children turn out. Uh, but we are called to raise godly children. And um, I heard a story about a son who went to his father and said, there's going to be a meeting at the school. And uh, I think it might be one you would want to come to. And the father said, okay. And he's, who's going to be at the meeting? And he said, me, you, and the principal. And so uh, the father showed up and the uh, principal told him that his uh, son had been caught stealing. He was stealing paper and pencils and pens, and the father looked at him and he said, I have no idea why he would do that. I could bring those things home from the office. So I'm thinking, how do we raise our children? You know, what are they seeing in us and, and the decisions that we make? But we can't beat ourselves up about the decisions that our children are making. As a mother, we have to realize our identity is in Christ. Hmm. That's really good. Um, I want to I want to shift to talking about um, something that I think most, if not all, women can relate to in our culture, and that's busyness. And so um, we we hear that a lot, and we put that out as a excuse, right? When we hear about what God wants us to do, and we know what we should be doing, and then we've got this excuse kind of lingering busyness, but it's also a reality, busyness. And so um, I wonder if you could speak to that for just a minute about how. Um, how as, as women who follow Jesus kind of set those navigational boundaries in terms of how do they make a decision on what to say yes to versus what to say no to. I know this is a big topic for you and our women this year. Could you speak a little bit on that? Um, well, we did just finish a study called The Best Yes. And so uh, for women, we were looking at the biblical principles and learning how to say uh, yes to the things that you're going to give your time and energy to. And you can say yes to uh, too many good things. So it's not always just bad things. But we have to uh, decide what we are going to give our time and energy to. And for women, that's hard because we're busy. Lots of things going on in our life. And we have to really see what, what God is calling us to for this season. It doesn't mean that God is not calling you to that 
maybe somewhere else. But for this season, what is God asking you to do? And um, when I did youth ministry, it was really easy for me to open up my home and have teenagers in. They just shoved the laundry off the sofa and plopped down. They just wanted a place to hang out. But when I did uh, women's ministry, I had to start thinking about what my house looked like because women come in and they do look at your home. And so I put a lot of, uh, a lot of emphasis on that. And um, so, you know, choosing what you're going to give your time and energy to. I know for um, women, we, uh, you know, we put a lot, you, you mentioned this, into our home that we live, uh, we want these perfect lives. We want to drive a perfect car to our perfect home where we have perfect children and have a perfect husband who goes to a perfect job and makes the perfect amount of money so we can have all the things in our life that are perfect. And to that, I would say, give that up. You know, that's not going to happen. So, you know, just take your shoes off. Go out in the backyard and enjoy your children. And uh, you're not going to look back and say, you know, I should have done more laundry. But you might say that you should have spent more time with your children. So you have to really decide what are your best yes and what's that going to be for you and your family and making those choices are not always easy. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned uh, Leave it to Beaver earlier, which oh, I remember. You remember yeah. Leave it to Beaver? Uh, golly gee, Wally. I do. Oh, gosh, look uh, at you. Yeah, so mid-20th mid century uh, comedic uh, TV show that came on that presented... Um, a culture that is very foreign from the culture we live in, a time where modesty was actually a, an admirable attribute within the culture and society, um, different from how it is today. And you heard me talk about modesty a few minutes ago. Um, I would really like for you to just take a second to speak into that topic, if you don't mind, um, from a woman's point of view. Um, would you speak to our ladies about God's call towards modesty? Well, I grew up in the hippie era, so, um, and... Uh, we uh, wore uh, cut-off jeans and halter tops, and we had the Farrah Fawcett look, which really looked like the uh, end of a chicken. Uh, but that was uh, kind of the hairstyle. So uh, that was our um, – you're sorry, now you asked me, right? No, no, I'm just good. Okay. I agree. <laughs> uh, so uh, that was kind of where we grew up, and my parents were really, um, really strong about the way we dressed and the way we presented ourselves. So – uh, that was not uh, acceptable in our home, but it was for my uh, girlfriend. So she would give me the cut-off jeans and halter top, and I would put those on under my clothes and go out. And then when I got wherever I wanted, I could take that off and, and go until the one time I re remembered I didn't wear the cut-off jeans under the skirt. And so I chose to not do that anymore. But uh, so when in that era deal, when my mother used to say, we had WWJD back then, what would Jesus do? And my mom would say, you know, if Jesus was standing here today, would he be um, proud of the way you're dressed? And I thought, oh, pulling the Jesus card. And, uh, but, you know, there's something to be said about that. And, and women, how we present ourselves is such, such an image. And, you know, the, all of the media has lied to us as women that this is the way you need to look to be beautiful. And that is not God's plan at all. I work for an accounting firm where I have to, um, I have to talk to women about the way that they dress. And I'm asked to do that uh, most of the time by men because that's a very difficult situation for men to be in that environment and women dressing as they are. And uh, I know you, you were saying that it's not uh, all about the, uh, the way the men 
react, and a lot of women want to say, well, you know, men just need to learn to control their thoughts and that sort of thing, but, you know, pornography is on the rise, and when we look at uh, the millions of dollars that's been spent in that, all of that adds to that, and uh, Christian organizations did this poll, and it said that five out of ten men recently recently viewed pornography, and um, a lot of that comes from the way that everything is presented out there. And so, women, it's, it's up to us to choose to dress like God has called us to do and choose to project because it's not about how much skin you show to say where your beauty is. Your beauty is so much more than that. And if there's parts of your body that only your husband's needs to see, then it needs to be covered. And um, I just think, uh, I think I wrote in James, uh, uh, James 4, actually, uh, it talks about becoming friends with the world. And I think uh, dressing immodestly, we're becoming friends with the world. Uh, parts of your body that should just be exposed to your husband should be covered up. I think it's just that simple. And uh, I think it's so important that we as women learn to see where our real beauty comes from and not take what the media is telling us that beauty is. Joe, I appreciate you taking time to talk about that um, for sure. And I think what I'd like for you to do here, maybe at the end, is to talk about something that I believe every woman in the room can relate to, and that is failure. Whether it's a wife, a mom, or just a woman in general, we look at God's call to be like Jesus as women. Um, I'd be willing to bet that almost every woman in the room is very acquainted with failure. Um, but along with that, just like Genesis 3, the first thing that creeps in with failure is shame. And so much like Eve, there's a temptation to hide failure um, from the people around you and to try to project a different image and that sort of thing. And so I think it would be really helpful for you um, to speak as a spiritually mature woman about what you do with failure um, to encourage our ladies today. Well, there's not enough time for me to talk about all my failure, but um, I would just say to uh, women, um, you're going to fail, uh, just as I failed at being a mom and a daughter and a sister, and uh, you're going to have those failures, and uh, it is God's grace and God's love that forgives us of those things, and when I look back of the things I said, uh, so this is coming from an old soul here, but um, you know, the things I would do differently in raising my children, I could have a very long list there, but um, I'm so thankful that God says, you know, I forgive you. I forgive you of those things, so you know, if you're here today and you're a mom that beats yourself up about some things that you would have done differently or that you are doing right now that you wish you could do differently, you have an opportunity to do that. But just know that God's grace loves you. And um, in that, I would say, too, that for women, um, sometimes we're so busy. You know, I remember, you know, going to those, sitting on those cold bleachers in the rain and, and watch, watching uh, uniforms at midnight and making lunches and moving the rug and realize that my son and now son-in-law have shot a hole in my tile and uh, a lot of those uh, wonderful experiences that you have as moms and but you know uh, we get so busy with things that we think um, we've become invisible and uh, I would just say you're not invisible God sees you and he sees what you're doing I heard a wonderful story about a builder who was part of building great cathedrals in Europe. 
and uh, he was carving a small bird under one of the beams that was going to be covered by the roof. And someone walking by looked at him and said, why are you doing that? No one's going to see that. And his answer to that is, God sees it. They knew that God would see it. And the thing about those builders, if you look about those great cathedrals, it'll say, builder unknown, unknown, unknown. They knew they were part of something that they would never see completed because some of those cathedrals took over 100 years to build. So they knew they would probably never see it and no one would know their name. But they showed up every day, did their best work very tirelessly, and came every day and did it, knowing that no one would probably know who they were. So ladies, I'd say to you today, you're building a great cathedral. Sadly, you may never live in it, but if you build it well enough, God will. So you won't have the perfect life. You won't have the perfect husbands. You won't have the perfect children. But that's not where your identity comes. Your identity comes from God, who loves you so much. Amen. I couldn't have said it any better. Would you join me in thanking Joe Warren for Thomas time this morning? Thank you, Joe. Thank you. It's so important, and I appreciate where she ended off. That's really where I want to end this morning. I would say to every lady in the room, um, first and foremost, you've got to realize that your identity, before anything else, before a mom, a wife, a worker, your, your identity is a daughter of the Most High God. And that's where your identity is found, and there alone. God's heart breaks when you begin to find your identity in the opinions of other people or other roles. God wants to say to you with a gentle but firm voice, that's not who you are. You're my daughter. That's who you are. And you'll never be a wife like Jesus. You'll never be a mom like Jesus. You'll never be those things unless you first learn how to rest in that identity marker. You are loved you are wanted, you are valued by a heavenly father who desires to say to you, you're mine. I want to end by just saying this morning to anybody in the room, male or female, that um, if you have not come to that place in your life where that has become your identity marker, today can be that day that you would trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for his salvation and his work on the cross for you to secure your place as a daughter and as a son of the most high God. That's what the cross is about. It's about God bridging a gap between your mistakes, your failures, and who he's designed and called you to be. We read this from Titus 2. We go, wow, I'll never be that. That's why Jesus came to die, because you'll never be that on your own strength. But he wants to give you that. He wants to bridge that gap for you if you'll trust in him in faith. Let's pray together as our worship team prepares to come back up. Father, we want to take a moment to acknowledge that you truly are a loving and faithful Father. And God, we want to confess that so often our ears and our hearts are attuned to the voices in this world, so much so that we fail to hear your voice. Today, we want to ask that your Holy Spirit would truly work in us and recalibrate the way we see the world, the way we see ourselves, the way we think about our character and our identity. Father, for everybody in the room, would you show us 
reveal to us, God, the places in our life where you are working to transform us into the image of Jesus for the women in the room who today have been listening to your word and challenged in a very specific way. Father, would you send your spirit to them? Would you wash over them with grace and peace and freedom? For the men in the room who maybe acknowledge for the first time today the significance of their impact on the image of women, could this be a day of repentance for us? Could this be a day of confessing our sin before you, laying down our failures at the cross that you might bridge that gap for us as well? God, for any person in the room who does not know you as a loving father, that today would be a day of faith. That's you and you're here today and you don't know God as your personal savior. Today can be the day of salvation for you. It simply begins as a prayer in your own heart. Coming to God in honesty, coming to God in faith and saying, I believe that you love me. I believe that you sent your son to down the cross to forgive my sins and save me. I believe that you want to secure my identity in you and you alone. And if you can pray that prayer in your own heart today, that's what it means to become a Christian. And if you'd like for somebody to pray with you, our prayer partners will be in the back of the room. If you need to stay seated and spend some time praying, we wanna encourage you to do that. For the rest of us, we're going to stand and we're going to sing together. So Holy Spirit, you've heard our prayer. Come move amongst us now as we respond. We pray in Jesus' name.